listeners, and welcome to Zoom Room, a youth-produced podcast where each episode we zoom into a different theme or topic through interviews and conversations relevant to us, the youth of Alaska. Zoom Room is a production of the Alaska Teen Media Institute. I'm your host, Quinn White. A lot of the podcast material we were working on this spring was put on hold when our main studio was shut down due to our hunker down order. We're all still working from home. But before the shutdown, we did record a pretty exciting interview that we're sharing with you now. On February 27th, 2020, ATME producers Daisy Carter, Devin Schreckengost, Riley Taylor, and AJ Yambao sat down with Peter Wallach, a professional stuntman for film and television. Born and raised in Alaska, Peter has over 90 stunt credits on his IMDb page. His credits include The Irishman, John Wick 3, Orange is the New Black, and Jessica Jones. He sat down with our youth producers, all of whom are aspiring filmmakers themselves, to talk about his career, share the -the behind-the-scenes stories, and give advice for people who want to work in film and television. Okie dokie. So, I don't know how to do intros. That's a great so, intro. This is the podcast where we interview a professional stuntman. Um, yeah, my name is Daisy Carter. Riley Taylor. AJM Bell. Devin Schreckengoss. And I already said my name. So, could you just introduce yourself? My name is Peter Wallach, and I'm a professional stuntman. So, what are you doing back here in Alaska? Uh, I was born and raised in Alaska, and I keep my house here. So, I come back as often as I can. What made you decide to be a professional stuntman? Uh, I really just kind of like fell into the job. I didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, and didn't know where I could go. And I had uh, a recommendation that I should be a stuntman. And I found myself in an accident, which I didn't actually get hurt in. I thought about that uh, over the course of a long couple of work days. And I was like, all right, maybe I could go be a stuntman. And then I did a lot of research on what that would take. And then set up a business proposal and borrowed a tiny bit of money and went and got myself trained. Uh, What kind of training is involved in becoming a stunt person? For stunts specifically, a lot of times they are broken into different expertise. There is kind of a basic skill set that most people should know how to do of falls, uh, being appropriate on set, uh, some sort of martial art, understanding of camera angles. You have to register in in certain places, uh, like if you're going to be with um, Equity or SAG-AFTRA, if you're going to be a part of some of the professional stunt organizations that are out there. And then you get into more specialized training. You should have a a bit of knowledge of all of this, but there are people that highly specialize in driving cars, driving motorcycles, big rigs, um, CDL vehicles, uh, water, boats, skidoos, the rigging, uh, wire work, fire, trickers, and martial artists. Uh, and then there's certain ones that are kind of based on your attributes, right? So there's motion capture, which is like for cgi or for video games some people have certain body types that lend them to stuff so uh, there's a gentleman and he's six six and he's you know like 150 pounds and so he's super tall super skinny and that lends him to do creature work 
is another guy that I know who's sub five foot. And so he doubles a lot of children. You know, it's whatever you can think of that uh, comes up more than once within a film production that you see. There's probably a specialty for that. There are specialties for horseback riding. Maybe last week, they were trying to find somebody who could competently ride a penny farthing, which is that old style bicycle that has the big giant one front wheel on the front and the tiny one on the back. Like, okay, well, somebody's got to learn how to do that. So earlier you mentioned uh, some uh, motion capture, and I noticed in your IMDb you were in... You were a listed as a stunt person in Red Dead Redemption 2. Could you kind of explain the difference between working in the film industry and working as a stunt person in video games? There's a number of things that are different. There is a difference in how production is executed. For film and television, what you are seeing is what gets filmed in front of the camera. Even if it's computer graphics, there's there's still going to be something that's put up there in front of it that's captured that then is augmented in some way. So the dragon in Game of Thrones, they still have a replica in front of the camera that everybody can kind of like work against, even if it's just a green tennis ball. In motion capture, you are in a studio warehouse space that has sensors that are all around you and the only thing that will show up in their sensors is what is marked. And so as a stunt performer, we can throw pads everywhere because they don't show up on camera. Um, it also means that if we need somebody to float, we could just put a chair under them because it'll never show up on camera. And so it, it, it's different in that the apparatus of how we're filming it and, and where, for all intents and purposes, like the magic happens, is it happening in reality in front of you or um, and then you're kind of like adding little bits or are you doing your performance and then that's being digitized to be recreated in a new place? The other big difference is the contracts that we work under and what is negotiated, how much they pay. Um, and whether or not we are within the same profit sharing model. And in this case, we are not. So we get profit sharing, and this is all public knowledge. You can look it up on the SAG after website, um, which is the union that I'm a part of. Uh, but we get a profit sharing model called residuals uh, and video games does not have that. To give you an idea of the difference before, between those, you know, a lot of actors um, make their living and they're main, able to maintain themselves when they're not working based on the profit sharing of residuals from TV and film. Video games doesn't pay any of that. And video games makes more money than movies, television, and music combined. There's um, big, big differences. Um, not a little bit on the performance side a whole lot on the apparatus or the machine that's running it around you that that that's for your profession uh can you explain how important it is to be a stuntman the thing that's important about a stuntman and and for me most of my work i am a stunt double 
I tend to double more people. There are other people who, um, you know, they are fighters or they have some other ability that they use uh, that they primarily get hired for. I get hired to be a stunt double. And so the value for me as a stunt double is that I'm expendable. The very first job I did, uh, I was doubling Matt Bomer on a TV show called White Collar. Uh, the stunt coordinator who brought me into the business is named Pete Bacosi. Very thankful to him. He's a legend in his own right. Uh, he's one of the best car hits, if you ever want to look him up. The stunt was I had I was dressed up like Matt, and they put a black bag over my head, and I was thrown to the ground right on concrete. And I was like, Pete, Matt can do this. Like, why would, like, you don't need me. What's the deal? I mean, thanks for the check, but you don't need me. And he goes, well, of course he could do it. But the one in a hundred times that he falls to the ground and he hits his face and he gets a black eye, he doesn't even get anything bad or he cuts his face. Well, there's 300 people who are all waiting and doing their job based on the fact that his face looks like that. Also, for the next six months, there's a schedule that we're trying to follow. But now because he busted his face, we need to stop production for two weeks. We still have to pay everybody for tomorrow. We lose all the location, locations that we were going to have. It's pushed shooting off until he's healed. It has this cascading effect. It's show business uh, and they're trying to make money. So the value of a stuntman is the fact that if I get hurt, there's another guy waiting. Um, and that's, that's real world in the, the movie Seabiscuit, great movie, uh, horse, horseback riding uh, movie, but there's a scene in it where um, a guy kind of falls off a horse and he's being dragged and it's supposed to mess up his leg real bad and it's, it's, it's part of the storyline. So they had the stunt guy who was going to do it and they did the stunt. Um, it's with a live animal. It's much harder to mitigate the dangers when you're working with live animals, particularly large ones. So this stunt man got seriously hurt had to go to the hospital um, i won't go into details on exactly what happened to him but as they were putting him into the ambulance getting ready to pull away they were like we need to get the harness off you before you leave because that harness is going on to this other stunt guy who's going to now do the stunt that you just got hurt on with the same well maybe the same horse maybe not the same horse but okay like before the ambulance pulls out that just sent this guy to the intensive care unit, somebody else who's got balls of steel is going to go up and do this exact same stunt. If we weren't expendable, then that, you know, however much it would have cost for that day, you know, whatever it is, a few hundred thousand dollars up to a million dollars uh, is just out. You don't get to keep that. It's just, oops, you made a mistake. It's, it's in the same way that, um, there's another Alaskan named Aurora Warfield who used to be in the film business. She was an incredible AD, and she told me that she was working on Sorcerer's Apprentice. And in that, there was a sports car that goes through Times Square. It had a big impact because the stunt guy who was driving it uh, it was a new car. They didn't let him get to practice very much, but he crashed into a pole. The pole fell down and went through another bakery or a restaurant or something like that but it's in Times Square, totaled the car. She knew she was on a big budget film. She knew she was in the big leagues because as soon as that thing crashed, the prop guy went, 
Where do you want us to drop the other Lamborghini? What? They had two extra Lamborghinis just in case. One blew a tire. We need to change something. Oh, it stalled out. You crashed into a restaurant. Yeah. So, because this is business, it, you know, it's not fun. So, what are you going to need? Um, and if you're going to pay, what? Um, I think John Wick paid half a million dollars for 12 hours for the location of uh, Times Square. You're going to lose half a million dollars in shooting location, not including all the people, the camera, all that sort of stuff, because you didn't you didn't pay um, twelve thousand dollars to have an extra car, or you didn't pay an extra contract day to have a second stuntman. That that's the value of having um, stunts is that production can keep going, and these people have expertise to uh, do something risky more than once. Have you ever gotten hurt or injured in in a stunt? Hurt, yes. Injured, not yet. So being hurt is just part of the game. You're going to get cuts. You're going to get bruises. You may get a small concussion. You're going to take some lumps. That's that's just part of it. But no like major like have to go to the hospital injuries yet? Um, Not from stunts, no. Not, not yet. But other, you know, other people have. And there's some things where maybe I could have gone, but I didn't. Um, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm. I know what this is and you know I can go there and get it fixed or like I can go ice it and wear a an air cast for a sprained ankle I'll just go do that. All right, so kind of going on to a different note here uh, because you do different things like uh doing stunts and being doubles for people, what do you find more stressful working on a kind of action movie like John Wick or being a person's double in a movie like Little Women? That really depends on the project um, because film is is like a one-off. You know, I'm, you never do the same stunt twice. You may recreate a stunt for a new storyline and it may be similar to something else, but it's a brand new thing. It's in a new location with new people, you know, and, and so it all depends on the job. And some actors are easier to work with and some actors produce a lot of extra stress some productions are highly technical and that is stressful to get worked out and relatively simple on set and some things have kind of that unknown factor of like oh man like this gets pulled off in either case something can happen man now it's snowing uh like a downpour oh my gosh like there's a bunch of people that won't leave and are having their stairs and running around somebody you know a police chase happens through our set somebody comes on and doesn't realize that we're in a film and they tackle um, a stunt person running from cop actors you know and it's like ah you know so has that happened before oh yeah yeah um blind spot or mr robot uh, a guy named i believe it was jason mellow was running from the cops and had to jump over a wall. So he did that. And some good Samaritans threw a bike in front of him and hit him with it. And he crashed into that. And then, like, it's like, oops, ruined our shot. I'm like, gotta go do it again. What is your least favorite and your most favorite part of your job? I mean, it's like with most jobs, right? Like, I like doing what everybody thinks is my job, right? So, like, I like going to set. I like 
making the illusion happen. Um, I really like hearing other people talk about work that I've done and not know that I'm in it, right? So, you know, when I'm sitting in the airport and I hear somebody talk about like, dude, Jessica Jones was awesome, like blah, blah, blah. Like, oh man, when, you know, when Kilgrave got hit by the bus, I'm like, oh man, that's me. I got hit by that bus. Okay, cool. Like, that's awesome. That's, that I find really enjoyable. But every job has parts right and so i hate that i don't have a schedule i don't know when you know uh, i know right now when my next job is it's on the 12th i didn't know that when i came in and spoke to cody um and and interviewed for his podcast i was just unemployed my job hires me for a single day for the most i mean sometimes for a week or whatever but like you're hired for a single project so are you ready right now Drop what you're doing right now and come do this. And that 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 becomes very difficult on all sorts of things, you know. When are you coming home? I don't know. You know, uh, so my folks or um, uh, my partner who I'm dating. We're going to have dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got work on Wednesday. Sorry. That's okay. We'll, we'll have dinner after you wrap. What time do you wrap? I don't know. Uh, you know, those types of things are, are um, extreme, extremely frustrating. And also for me, like I have a, I have a beard and I have longer hair. I don't, I don't get to choose how I look. I don't cut my hair and I don't trim my beard until they tell me to do it. Now I don't have to do that, but I want to maximize the jobs that I get because I don't work nine to five. And that's some of the other things about my job is I am my own boss. And so I get to do everything. Do you guys work other jobs? What do you do? I was a shift lead at a kids amusement park type thing. Awesome. Okay. So, um, did you have to fill out tax paperwork for your for your paychecks, and then, well, you filled it when you started, but did you have to fill out it every time? Did you have to do the logistics of you know of like, okay, I got my you know they sent you your W two, but did you have to like keep track of that stuff? Did you have to go to a bookkeeper? I just had it and they sent me the w2 exactly these are you know so these are things um you know did you have to make sure that you had a you know to go get a printer to print things off and like go to office max to get files these are things that within an apparatus of a normal employment get taken care of by the business uh you know you had a work uniform somebody else picked that out you didn't pick that out uh i I somewhat have a work uniform. When I go to set, I'm wearing a costume. You know, I need to pick out appropriate work clothes. I get to do my own uh, accounting. I get to set my own training schedule. When do I get up? When do I show up for work? Right? Like, uh, and that's not just, I work every day, but I only get paid when I go to set. Right? And anything less than 40 hours a week is a hobby. So um, when I don't work for three weeks, what am I doing for work? Like, how am I making myself a better artist and performer? And those are the things that are the dual-edged sort of like being the greatest parts of my job, but also the scariest parts of my job because no one tells me what I need to do to be a stuntman. I, I have to make the decision. I need to go learn uh, rescue diving so that I can be a more useful tool to somebody and be a safety swimmer on set. I need to take the day off because my body hurts. And I, I need to be ready for my job tomorrow. Do I learn Taekwondo or do I learn Judo? No one's leading me. So like, that's really stressful. <laughs> but that's, 
I also have a lot of autonomy, right? Like I get to choose to be like, I'm going to go learn horseback riding. Right. So what was your most complicated stunt that you've done? Oh, generally as a stunt performer, most of it isn't super complicated other than like if you're driving a car or something like that. And, um, but I think what you're asking is like, what's the most technical stunt that I have taken part in? Um, not necessarily in front of the camera, probably it was probably the horseback riding scene in John wick three, because that was, you know, six to eight weeks of upfront planning of, uh, which other people kind of, I was just a part of, I didn't, it's not like I designed this or planned this or anything, teaching Keanu Reeves to ride a horse, including trick riding, training these horses to follow behind a truck with overhanging um, rigging truss above him that we can then hook up Keanu Reeves so that he cannot fall, making sure that that's all legal and structural with an engineer, building the back end of that on the back of a truck and designing that, training the horses to be underneath that and buy the vehicle, training the horses uh, to not be scared of a camera coming at their face, and not moving away from it as they're running and then training them, the horses and Keanu to work and fight with a motorcycle, right? Cause those motorcycles are going to freak out horses. And then after that, that's just for that part. Well, now we have to make sure that the humane society thinks it's okay. So now we got to figure out how do we pad six blocks of Brooklyn street with rubber that we can drive on, but so that it doesn't hurt the horses and it doesn't get slippery. Well, you're worried about the weather, so you put it underneath an elevated train. Well, great. Now we have to figure out, can't have the horses underneath those elevated trains when they go, Those that's going to freak them out. So we have to start to get the timing of the subway. Well, they're not really on a schedule. So we have to set people up to relay. Okay, well, after each shot, because the truck went over the rubber, it's now moved the rubber, uh, we now have to get 30 or 40 people to go re-straighten out this rubber. So it's a 45-minute setup in between each run. And you're all on a schedule. How many nights do we have to shoot this? Yeah. And then certain elements are going to be done with a green screen, uh, you know, because there's a motorcycle, you know, a guy gets shot and he hits into a trailer. Okay, well, we got to fake a trailer. We got to get both of them in the same shot while everything's moving and hide the apparatuses that we're hiding like the um like the pads and equipment then we also have to deal with the public um, making sure that they're staying out of the way but they're also not being seen and then we have to worry about the paparazzi who know their rights and like hey you can't stop us from being here but they could be freaking out the horses and if they freak out the horse that keanu's riding then keanu could get hurt because he's gonna fall off that horse so yeah and real technical crazy stuff being a person from Alaska, do you find that that affects your job search or just representation in the field at all? Like most Alaskan, I, you know, we're shamelessly proud of our state and I lead expeditions. So I'm constantly talking about Alaska. Um, so people generally know that that's where I'm from. I didn't grow up in a space in which film was always around. So I don't have any connections from where I grew up. It doesn't necessarily hurt me, but it, def it doesn't really help me, but it does give people a hook to remember me by. Uh, and what it also does is whenever I come back here, when I give gifts to people, I always try and give them something from Alaska that they would never be able to give themselves. A stuntman is getting married. Okay, we're all gonna go to his wedding. 
So I'm going to get them something from Alaska that's going to be something that they could never get themselves because that is what, you know, show business. This is about relationships. And, you know, uh, are you somebody that people want to work with? I have a unique side gig for my family. So I'm getting this guy for their wedding gift, a wolfskin blanket, right? So got native friends, they got wolves, you know, because they're trapping out in their village. All right, great. I'm going to buy those pelts off them, bring some money to the village, help them out, take those, give it to another friend of mine from Alaska who's um, a tailor for Cirque in Las Vegas, and she's making it into a blanket for me, and then I'll give that to them. But I always try and find something, you know, crazy, like another stunt coordinator named Tim Gallen. He gave me one of my largest... At the time, it was the biggest stunt that I had done, which was jumping 60 feet off a boat for the TV show The Following. To thank him for giving me these great opportunities, at the end of the season where I was doubling that guy, I gave him an Usyk because when is he ever going to see an Usyk? You know, you know, he doesn't even know what it is. But I try and incorporate Alaska and, and speak really highly about it. And then I try and drag people up here. So I've dragged a couple of stunt people up here um, to do things so that they can really enjoy it too. Um, I think Cody told me that you're a um, that you're an alumni of UAA. I am. They just released the um, potential cuts to um, UAA, and one of them is theater. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, how would you feel about theater potentially being cut? Theater being cut for the University of Alaska system is cut entirely. Seems extreme to me. You know. I, The state is going through some major budgetary issues, but it it's all a question of what is what the powers that be feel is valuable and what does it bring. Um, And if if they're looking to switch the university system into to focus more on the needs of the current Alaska industries, you know that that makes sense and. Theater is a very expensive department uh, as it is as it is currently being run. Um, and so it's understandable, but I would have questions about what is the goals of the university and what are they trying to achieve? And what does the university wish to fertilize Alaska's ground with? So people that come out of UAA, many of them stay in Alaska. I mean, you know, there's some that like come up here and then go back home, um, but many of them stay in Alaska. But what skills do you want to bleed out into the community? I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit special in that I'm working in my degree field, but before that, I used what I learned in theater every day. Uh, when I am negotiating a price for something, when I was going to buy my car, when I play poker with my friends, when I am, you know, a few years ago when I spoke in front of the assembly, uh, I use that. When I was helping out the Anchorage Public Defenders, you know, training uh, jury selection and uh, opening and closing statements. These are basic skills that we all use every day. And if we practice them, then we get better at it. Unlike a lot of 
not that other jobs aren't collaborative, but everything we do is collaborative and also collaborative without a hierarchical structure. Theater, you know, the actor listens to the director and then eventually the stage manager. Okay. But he's, they're working with a lighting designer and they're working with set people and ushers and prop people, but they're not actually, you know, no one's in charge of each other. They're collaborating. They're, they, you know, we must both interact with this system. There is somebody who's in charge of all that, right? Like the technical director can tell them what to do, but um, nothing stops the uh, electrician going to the carpenter and telling him to pack sand and that he smells bad. But, you know, that's where the soft politics of having worked in a theater and making sure that you can get along with the people around you towards a common goal. Accountants don't have that. You know, accountant has a boss, they do their thing, and all right, we need these reports in these formats or whatever, or you need to get us this data, and then their boss says, put it in this format. But does UAA feel that the skills of presentation is important? And not not just to make people laugh or cry or tell a story, but to be persuasive. And if they don't think it's important, then I would ask them if they're frustrated with the current political politics of Alaska or the federal government. Because something tells me that they are extremely frustrated with the presentation of one side of the aisle or the other and are frustrated that, you know, my guess is that the university would not like their funding cut. So my other guess is their presentation to try and convince the legislators or the governor or convince the public to create enough of a stir to demand that that funding stay is something that they wish they had uh, more, more oomph in their presentation. You want something to be a little more oomph? You know, another word for that would be maybe something a little more dramatic. Well, then, you know, that's performance. And it's, you know, we think of theater as all plays and stuff, but it, it's not. It, you know, all the politicians are performing. The used car salesman is performing. You know, the checkout guy at cars is playing the checkout guy and you know i just i just came from the dentist before that and my dentist came in and oh hey how's it going oh it's good to see you with that and i was like oh you okay you have a cold like uh, no 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 you know a family member it, it was in the last stages of their life and it's sad for them but i could tell by their performance like they came in and they weren't like oh everything's fine i'm a dentist i'm doing my thing you know these are gentle influences that are happening whether or not we are paying attention to or whether or not we practice these skills. Does the university want its alumni and its students to have these types of skills? Do they think that those skills um, would, would be helpful um, and give a good show for what UAA can, can produce? So I, I, I find it useful even outside of my particular profession. And I, you know, and I think that there's a value to be had by having um, those skills 
taught, particularly to people outside of the theater major? Because I, you know, I go, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a person. We're all people. We we go to a lot of places and we see things. And how many times have you been like, oh man, like that guy, man, that flight attendant, oh, they're like presentation on how to buckle the seatbelt sucks. You know, it's like, oh geez, you know, and that that kind of stuff can can fix that, you know, or at least aid in 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 making a community that is more effective in communicating. So for anyone uh, listening that could be really interested in um, doing what you're doing and being a stuntman for film and TV and, you know, things like that, um, do you have any um, pieces of advice for uh, newcomers in this field? If you want to work in film and television and you know that that's what you want to do, the big thing to know is that particularly when it comes to the arts, it is a do or do not, and they don't care necessarily about certificates. So you don't, your college degree will aid you if when you don't make it. Moving into theater and film and TV is highly, highly competitive. Uh, and very few people, you know, make it to that big, big step where they're, you know, they're killing it, you know, like a, like a Spielberg or a, um, you know, a Daniel Day Lewis or something like that. Knowing what you want to do in that, and then what are the skills that I need to acquire, and then working on that, and not waiting for somebody to teach you that, but going and working on that. If you want to learn, if you want to be an editor, well, you don't need anything. You don't need to go to an editing class. Uh, I know plenty of stuntmen who are better editors than some of the editors that I have seen, and they self-taught. You just need a computer. I think um, iMovie is free if you have an Apple. If not, there are other free programs you can use uh, on PC. And it's about practice and about this is what this is what I want to be doing. And so you you know, if you don't pick out what you like practicing. Another Alaskan uh, UAA alumni is named Danny Jones, and he he's an equity performer. He is now a professor on Lower 48. He is auditioning and, and getting roles in Chicago and such. But a long time ago, he said, if you don't like rehearsing, then you don't like acting. If you don't like running drills on the ice rink, then you don't like playing hockey. You know, 90% of the time you're going to be running drills. 90% of the time you're going to be practicing. If you're going to be an editor, 90% of the time you're going to be futzing with clips and trying to piece them together. Um, it's, not about, it's not about the cake at the end. It's about the process of baking it. So if you want to be in film and television and you know that's what you want to do, you need to go for broke on the skills and you need to do that. You know, I love that there's a, a university system that there's schools set up to kind of train you. Um, that is a great place to go in which you will be afforded the opportunity to make low impact mistakes. Uh, I, in the university, you know, was able to make business mistakes in the theater that had zero impact on my future stunt career, you know, so. When I made a mistake and I really should have gone and apologized for it and I didn't, well, okay, 
that didn't harm me. But if I did that now, I made a mistake this summer. And I didn't know that I had made a mistake until four months later and somebody told me, hey, somebody's mad at you for this. I immediately had to call up and not give them the reason why. Other people were like, hey, dude, you were in the right. Like, didn't matter. Go and apologize. Eat crow. Be humble. Because it's about what you want. So if you want to be a director, then you need to start getting people together so and um, organizing them to all push in the same direction. If you want to be an actor, well, you better go find something and practice performing, even just to yourself until you can get somebody else to record it or go to the uh, city square and just perform for the tourists. You need to make your own opportunities. Uh, and those, those opportunities, if when they get seen and recognized, will be picked up. No one cares about your credentials if you can do the job. So worry less about the credentials and worry about being able to do the job. And more, uh, more than that, um, I, I read a lot of stuff that kind of try and help me understand the dynamics of business. And there's a, uh, an FBI negotiator, like a hostage negotiator, and he talked about the, the most important thing whenever you're negotiating and most film stuff, even the director, Hey, these are the lines you're going to say. I'd like you to say them this way. Like he's negotiating. He's the boss, but he's negotiating with that person. Uh, and if he's a dick to his actor, and oh God, I don't want to work with that guy again. Or that actor is constantly, well, why is my guy punched there? Like he wouldn't do that. Like, oh man, like, come on guy. You know, I don't want to wear ice skates. It's an ice skating scene, dude. What do you like? Come on. You're being paid millions of dollars. FBI negotiators said, everybody you deal with, even if you don't give them what you want, you want them to step away and think, yeah, I didn't get what I wanted, but I'd deal with that person again. So, you know, I f***ed up bad this summer. And, you know, because we're not perfect, just like all of us in our jobs, we've all messed up, you know, and I had to call that guy. Now, is he going to go out of his way to hire me again? Probably not. But if he runs to me on set, is is he going to speak ill of me or or not hire me because I'm already the double and he's come in? No, I don't think so. By the end of the conversation, uh, he recognized that I understood what was, what had happened, uh, and I saw his perspective, and that I, you know, kissed the ring and and didn't argue with him, even if I disagreed with him. And in the end. I, he'll deal with me again. He answered my phone call two weeks ago, so I don't see why he wouldn't deal with me again. So that that's what I would suggest is go out and make your own way. Find work that you find worth doing and start making it. And do that before you're in the union because once you're in the union, you don't get to do that and, and do it as much as possible. You know, Good examples of this is usually directors. Um, because the directors that are successful, you'll see no nothing crap films, no nothing crap films, and the okay, okay film, but like kind of, and then suddenly, boom, they explode, and now they get to do everything, you know, and the multi million dollar budgets, you know, um, and and it happens really, really fast, and you will be thrown into the deep end. So you want to practice as much as you can beforehand. Don't wait for the oh well. Once I'm on a big set those problems will get solved. Like, no, 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 don't do that. There's a movie called Good Times with Robert Pattinson 
It was a super low budget movie. It we didn't even think it was going to come out when we were working on it. Um because they had lost a location and the directors are two brothers and they had been slated for this next project that they were going to do, which is even bigger. So they kind of like were being given new bigger projects before they were done with that first one. But you can see a difference between good times and their next projects. And then if you look at the projects before that, you're like, Oh, there's like big step ups between them. But if they had waited until they had to work on their skills until a studio had signed them, or greenlit one of their projects you know they're you know that's like yeah yeah, yeah I'll, I'll i'll practice the um the trumpet solo uh once i'm cast in the orchestra and and we're on our way to the pack center to perform it I'm like no 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 no, i can't do that everything's in prep F- always fix it in pre always fix it in pre i have one more question can you give us an example of a stunt using one of us can you teach us a stunt? Um, Not super intense, but just like low stunt. Yeah, but it won't really translate on a on a podcast very well. Yeah, well, can you like explain the stunt and maybe have Devin stand up and then you explain it to him? Stunts are about expectations, right? And, and about explaining a stunt storyline in a convincing fashion so i'll explain an easy way to do um a stunt so that everybody can kind of understand it yeah great here's a trick if you want to on screen kick somebody in the groin yeah i was about to say i'm gonna use the example that i'm trying to beat up Devin. great you're gonna you're you're just He's going to be standing there not even paying attention and you're just going to walk up and kick him in the groin. Devin stole my stole my goldfish. Absolutely. And, now- and you're going to kick him in the groin and grab it straight out of his hands as he crumbles in pain and, you know, weeps for the loss of his future children. So, you know, and I assume you want like a, you don't want to hide this with a camera angle. No. You want to see him get kicked yes. in the groin. Absolutely. Okay. So if we were going to do this, uh, the first thing I would do is I would, I'll, I'll explain the piece of equipment we use a- after, but you know, when it happens, set up the camera angle, set up, we'll get a good shot for it. Use the right lens, that kind of stuff. We will teach you to kick on target, which I'll explain and practice that for a bit. You, sir, will, um, will teach you how to stand in a not obvious way, but that, uh, gives a easy target to be kicked. Uh, in a way that she's not going to miss and and kick you in the legs. And then I would, when we're ready for that scene, um, somebody from the wardrobe department and myself will go with you to your trailer to change you and we'll take off your pants. And then underneath your pants and your socks, we will take a nylon um, webbing strap and that it's a, a long strap that has a loop on each end. And so then we'll take those loops and we'll put them onto your feet so that the loop is kind of like wrapped under your heel. So that as you're standing there, you're actually standing on these these two loops and then there's a strap that goes between them. Now, you would then put your pants on so that that strap is going up one pant leg through your groin section and then down the other pant leg. Now, the length of that strap is going to be to within uh, half an inch or so of your groin. So we'll practice, we'll 
tighten that so that as I am, you know, as one is pushing up on that uh, nylon strap, it is not touching you, but it is moving the groin of your pants. Then we would train you that you're going to kick nice and flat footed against that like with a pointed toe, right? So that your toe is pointing through his legs as you kick, as opposed to um, keeping your foot flexed like a right angle, right? Which would go straight up into him, right? And so, you know, and then we would practice, we'd set it up. And then when you kicked, we would see your foot make contact with his pants like clearly and move those pants and because it is close the audience is going to assume so long as you do a good job performing now when somebody gets kicked in the groin most of the time you will see them crumble inward and go down to the ground and be real you know like curl up into a fetal position ball how well does that tell our story of course not. We want to see this guy's pain. We want to we want to see the light of his future children in his eyes dim into blackness. I want to see Devin's pain. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we'll then train Devin so that, hey, when you get kicked, instead of curling your back forward, tipping your head down, grabbing your groin and going down, what we're going to want you to do is after she kicks, we want you to tip your head straight back and then make your face as if it hurts. And then you're going to want to drop your center and fall towards the ground. And until you are on the ground, then you collapse over, right? So that the camera, right? Because it's not about you seeing it. It's about the audience seeing it. So the audience and the, you know, the camera uh, looking through the mat box, they're going to see your pain because we're going to make sure and teach you how to frame it so that your head is up and that we can watch you suffer. I would really like, I really enjoy watching Devin <laughs> suffer. <laughs> Daisy over here like really likes to write and direct movies, so I wouldn't be surprised if the information you just gave is going to be used for this cause. So, Well, don't write based on the stunt. Write what you want and then find a stunt coordinator to help you figure out what's possible or not possible. You know, that's another thing. If you, if you're an artist, don't ask for limitations. Right? I I find a lot of people set themselves up uh, poorly for what they want because they do one of a couple things. They either are waiting for somebody else to do the heavy lifting, waiting for somebody else to bring a job to them or in setting up their work, they're already asking for limitations, right? So do you want, like, do you want him to be kicked in the nuts or do you want to show um, an, effective, uh, an effective strike that causes a great deal of pain that shows a, um, a smaller woman beating up a bigger man? Saying that you want a kick in the nuts is limiting yourself to a kick in the nuts. Whereas saying, oh man, like I want to hurt this guy bad. Well, he stole my goldfish. Of course. That's to smack the smiles back. Absolutely. If there's something specific you want, like, no, I definitely want that. Okay, fine. But then that can be done. It's collaborative. Leave space so that others can collaborate with you. And uh, 
don't be territorial, right? So steal from steal ideas from each other, but also because you know a good idea is is, is worth stealing, and and nobody owns them. The other thing is you know by not limiting yourself and opening yourself for collaboration, you're going to come up with something much better than what you got. None of us are smarter than all of us. Work on collaborating and being gracious enough that others would want to collaborate with you. So learn to play pretend so well that others want to play with you. I like that. Okay, well, um, yeah, that's a good way to end that, yeah. Um, I guess, well, um, yeah, this concludes the podcast where we interview a stuntman. Thank you again for, um, for being able to give us this wisdom. Yeah, my pleasure. Reach out anytime if you guys have any questions. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to add? Or yeah, if you got a project going on in the state of Alaska and you think I would be helpful, reach out. I was about to say that film of you stealing my goldfish might actually come to fruition. <laughs> I can see the gears turning already. I, I can see it happening. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you again. All right. Thank you. That was professional stuntman Peter Wallach speaking with Atme producers Daisy Carter, Devin Schreckengost, Riley Taylor, and AJ Yumbau. The interview was edited by Devin Schreckengost. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including the United Way of Anchorage, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Rasmussen Foundation through the Arts and Education Fund administered under contract by the Alaska State Council on the Arts. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, you can donate to our organization by going to alaskateenmedia.org and clicking donate. Also on our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listen to past episodes of our podcast, and find out how you too can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For the Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Quinn White. Thanks for listening.